0: Welcome to this Mount Pleasant Baptist Church podcast recorded at our Burgoon campus. We're glad you've joined us and we pray that the Lord will speak to you and encourage you through this message. I wonder if you recognize this quote, it's a far, far better thing I do than I have ever done. It's a far, far better rest I go to than I have ever known. It's not in the Bible, some of you will know though, it comes from a tale of two cities. Charles Dickens' novel. And it's when someone is about to give his life for someone else. And our reading today, one of two readings today, the last in our But God series, actually talks about this sort of thing being very rare, but God. And just before we start our readings, two words come up again and again this morning. One is mercy, the other is grace. Mercy, remember, is not getting what I deserve, shown mercy. Grace Is being given what I don't deserve. So, with that in mind, let's do our readings together. If you've got your Bible, uh, actual or electronic, uh, we're going to look at Romans 5 and Ephesians 2. Romans 5, verse 6, and Ephesians starting at verse 1, chapter 2. That is. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in Ephesians chapter 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgression and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God While were we were yet sinners, yeah, thank you, Trish, amen. It's a wonderful t- couple of readings. While were we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Jesus who welcomed sinners and gave his life for them and on the cross said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Apparently, very popular still with Aussies. In one of his books, John Dixon says, Aussies have been drawn to Jesus Christ and his welcoming attitude towards sinners. And the mistakes of churches don't seem to have dulled people's enthusiasm for him. And he quotes some, some surveys, three surveys done in 2009 by Nielsen and the McCrindle people. Let's have a look. I find this quite extraordinary. About Only about 15% of Aussies go to church uh, at least once a month. But 49% said Jesus was the most important figure in history. 54% believed of those surveys believed he rose from the dead. And 75% believed he did perform miracles. So there's this very warm acceptance of Jesus by many. But the word sinners is a bit more tricky. Except when Jesus, Jesus accepted sinners, that's okay. But, like, for example, I never started my Nightline program by saying, good evening, over 33 years of radio, I didn't go, good evening, welcome to Nightline, lovely to have you with us. I just want to say right at the outset, you're a sinner. I would have had a very small audience in a very short time if I had done that because they would have heard me. Be, they would have thought I was saying, you are a sinner, but I am not. Have a look at what's how our scripture reading starts again. While we were sinners. And that's always the approach in scripture when it's coming from God while we were sinners. Paul was the master. Young Timothy was his apprentice in spiritual matters. And yet Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy Timothy 1, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. You know, the word sinner only occurs about seven or eight times in the Gospels where it applies to Jesus, and it was never used by him for the lost and the broken, and the marginalized, and the ignored, and the notorious, who were drawn to him and who he welcomed. Never used it of them. In fact, when the word occurs, overwhelmingly it's used by others, like the Pharisees in Luke 15 who attack him saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. See, they're saying, I think we're getting a bit of a, a thing there. Are we getting a bit of an echo of it? I don't think it's me. (laughs) This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I think that that, what, what, what the Pharisees were saying was, they are sinners, we are not. You're supposed to be holy? What are you doing with them? How does Jesus respond to that question? Well, in Luke, he tells three parables. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. And he's saying to them, the father wants his family back. That's why I'm here. In Mark, he uses a medical image. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, a sinner in that sense means I have a desperate problem. I have a desperate need and I can't solve it. But maybe he can. And if you've come in this morning beaten down, discouraged, feeling defeated, maybe your hope nearly gone, you're receiving a great grace from God. Dan reminded us last week, the most dangerous place is when you think, look, I've got this, I'm doing really well. Just watch. If you've come in on the last step this morning, there is a great physician here. By the Holy Spirit. And he welcomes us as he welcomed them. Uh, I guess the first sinners were Adam and Eve, weren't they? Uh, they, they, were the, they were the number one. And effectively, you know, God gives them, you can have anything in the garden but this. And by their actions, what they said to God was, God, you don't get to make the rules. I decide. You don't get to make the rules. It's my decision. I may follow your rules. I may not. It's my decision. And that's kind of been ground zero for human culture ever since. It's reflected everywhere. You see it in our literature. Uh, For example, thanks, Ed. You've got thanks, mate. Good job. One of D.H. Lawrence's characters in his book, uh, says uh, the book The Boy, I think it is, says this. There's a character who wants a second wife. And he says, I refuse the sin business. I say my way is better. It's on the screen. I should have my two wives. He's not refusing the sin business. He's living it. He's exemplifying it. My way is better. I read the uh, story of a life coach online this week, and she wrote this. It's on the screen. The biggest truth that I had no awareness of was my power... To create my life. It's the the sound, it's it's the thing that says, You don't make the rules, God, I do. I can create my life. And the contrast with our reading could not be more stark. Thanks, Ed. Because the reading says, When we were still powerless, Christ died. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. How powerless? Well, Ephesians tells us we had as much power as a dead person. You were dead, it says. And this idea of being dead is a little bit, no, it's not a little bit, start again. This idea of being told you're dead is very confronting to any of us at any time. But the Bible is relentless in its insistence on this. Jesus said it. In John 5, he says, The one who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has crossed over from death to life. In 1 Timothy 5, we read that if you only live for pleasure, you're dead even while you're alive. And, And last week, Dan mentioned the church in Sardis, Jesus talking to his church there in Revelation 3. He says this, You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. So what does that mean, confronting as it is, to be saying you're dead in that sense? Well, thanks Ed, it's pretty much explained in the Ephesians reading. Paul goes on to say, we followed the ways of this world, doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. We, notice that, we, not you, we all followed the ways of this world. In fact, the message translation finishes this passage with all of us in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. When Solomon was praying at the dedication of his Jerusalem temple, he said, Lord, when they sin against you, and they certainly will, for there is no one who does not sin. You find that in 1 Kings 8. And many of you would have learnt Romans 3.23. You could probably say that with me. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That word sin comes from archery. It just means, as many of you know, it just means miss the mark. So if you're in an archery contest, you draw your bow carefully, you aim at the target and you hit one of the spectators or an official, you have <laughs> sinned. Okay, that's all the word means. And since the mark is the glory of God, we're all going to miss it. There's no question about that. We will all be in the same boat. But you know what? We're all in that same boat, sin boat, for a magnificent, life-giving reason. See, when I was a kid, I was required to learn Romans 3.23, off by heart. All have sinned and come it. Some of you did too, yeah? I'm not the only one. I wish they'd taught me Romans 3.24 as well. Let's put it up for you. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace. That's what it really says. And there's that word again, grace. What about mercy? Well, it's there just a bit further in Romans, Romans 11. God bound everyone over into disobedience, put you all in the sin boat together. Why? So that he could have mercy on all of them. So that he could have mercy on them all. See, as you receive his grace and his mercy, actively receive it. Be humble enough to accept the gift. Then your lived experience becomes, you were dead, but God has made you alive. It becomes your lived experience. Jesus said, I've come so that you might have life And have it more abundantly, more and better life than you ever dreamed possible. And the early church expected this to be lived experience. Around about 180 AD, the very early church, Irenaeus wrote this, Gloria Dei est vivens Homer." Now, I'm sure you're very glad that I shared that with you this morning. It's been a huge blessing and there's no extra chart. Well, most of you will know the translation or the rough translation The glory of God is a human fully alive. It's it's not not totally accurate, but close enough for now. The glory of God is a human fully alive, which poses two questions this morning. As you sit there and as I stand here, am I alive at all in this sense? And am I fully alive as God wants? Am I alive at all? And do I have the life that God wants me to have fully Alive. You know, I was thinking and praying about all of this following the way of this world stuff and listening to the message um, in my car as I was driving and a, a, a phrase from Romans 1 jumped out at me. This is amazing. It says, they worshipped the God they made instead of the God who made them. Isn't that great? Follow the ways of this world. You'll worship the God you make instead of the God who made you. Followers of Jesus can do that. We can make our own God. We can make our own God. Uh, see, the scripture tells me, Graham, you can approach the throne of grace with confidence to receive, here it is, mercy and grace in your time of need. Uh, approach with confidence, you might be different to me. but see, Romans 3.23, I get that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, yet present but Romans 3.24, Graham, you are justified freely by his grace. I know me too well. And, uh, and, and I create a God who kind of notices every slip and rolls his eyes and thinks, well, there he goes again. And as I come into his presence, switches on the ecclesiastical 2 stroke. I approach that God more like going, and I, I don't think I'm the only one in the room, it's more like going through the checkout when you're paying for something, isn't it? That's an interesting experience, isn't it? You, you, are, you tap your card, that's what Merle does. For me, I get out my phone and pay with that, or with my watch. I'm always fascinated if it's a very young person serving me, and I do either of these, the look on their face says, how can this fossil understand <laughs> how to do that. Sometimes I'll say, that's very impressive. I said, yeah, I put on my own shoes and everything. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Now, then we wait, right? You, you stand there and it goes processing. Do not remove your card. Waiting, waiting, <laughs> waiting. And, and you get approved. <laughs> yes, yes. I love the one. Anyway, so, that, so you get approved. I, when I come to God in this sense, I'm more expecting, I'm sorry, Your card has been declined. Why can I come with confidence? Well, in the Ephesians reading, the reason is between the word but and the word God. But because of his great love for us. You see, God's love for me doesn't depend on any specially lovable quality in me. That doesn't mean I don't have any. I'm very nice when you get to know me. But it doesn't depend on that. It doesn't depend on what's in my account that's not being checked. It's what Jesus did that is being checked. It depends on his. God doesn't love me because of me, or in one sense he does, but he actually loves me because he is love and he chose to love you and he chose to love you before creation. Ephesians 1 says, long before he laid the earth's foundation, he had us in mind, he had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole. And holy by his love. It's his choice. It's his character. It's his gift to you. So you're accepted if you open your life to his love and grace and mercy. Say those three simple words I'm sorry, Lord, I do have a need. I can't pull myself up by my own shoelaces. Please forgive me. Thank you. It's that simple. How accepted are we? Thanks, Ed. How accepted are we? That's actually the uh, FPOS machine in our cafe. I kind of like the ones that give you a big green tick when it says accepted. kind of gives me a little buzz. Oi, got a green tick. This is very good. That's ex- Again, of course, all you mean is you've gone further into debt, but we'll do that another day. <laughs> How accepted are we? It's on the screen. God raised us up with Christ Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness. I remember someone who was widowed, relatively young, and I would have just been all sorts of bent out of shape, but I remember her genuinely saying, we've got to share the story on screen one day, uh, one of the times that I that I spoke she said I just Graham God is so kind he is so kind imagine you went home one day and it was one of the days the posty came and in the letter in the letter box there's this very official looking envelope very classy and you can tell it's stiff white card inside and you turn it over and it's got a seal a wax seal on the back and you think I'm going to Hogwarts? No, no. You might or think I'm going to a royal garden party. I've been invited to a government house for me. But when you open it up, you read these words. You find out it's from a, a king or a queen or a ruler, somebody who's very powerful and incredibly wealthy. And they write this: "I have sworn on oath." In the blood of my only son, that I will spend my riches showing you kindness beyond your capacity to imagine for the rest of your life. That's exactly what God is saying in that reading on the screen. And whoever that letter came from, their wealth compared to the wealth of God is like a grain of sand to every desert on the globe and God's wealth is so much more than that and includes so much more than material things, so much more. And I'm going to, excuse me, I'm going to do this for the rest, well, our life, how long for? Well, our life is just a vapour, the scripture says, like the, the steam out of a kettle, gone. But God says, I am going to keep showering my kindness on you in the coming ages. And the Greek is aeon, which means that um, it's saying, that's where we get our word eons from. About a billion years if you use it as a measurement. But God will show his kindness to us in the eons through the eons. I don't feel totally alone with my checkout, God. Because when Peter first saw the grace and mercy and kindness of Jesus, something of it in the miracle catch of fish, and you can look it up sometime if you don't know the story, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. What did Jesus say? Don't be afraid. I will make you. Don't be afraid, Peter. And he says the same to you this morning. Don't be afraid. See, fully alive. if if God's glory is for us to be fully alive, it doesn't mean fully mature. I want to tell you about somebody. This person was born into a very wealthy part of the world. They were born into an area that had magnificent health health services, it had fantastic education, great culture, marvellous sporting facilities and they have done nothing. They still live at home with their parents they're nothing in sport, nothing in education, and yet they are adored. I'll show you a photo of them. Well, of course they haven't won a gold medal yet. Of course they've done nothing in literature or art. But well, they're a baby. They're a baby. And what Irenaeus accurately said was this. Irene, Irene I always get his name wrong. What Irenaeus said is, for the glory of God, is a living human being and the life of a human consists in beholding God. God understands we're growing. Let me show you another beautiful little one. That's our youngest grandson, Justin. A couple of years back now, back then, or maybe not a couple of years, but a little while back, back then he was very good at turning taps on. He's not so good at turning them off. And with that hose and a tap on, he could create the most amazing mud puddle in the clay soil of Tennessee in about 30 seconds. And he would come back into the house spectacularly dirty. How did his parents treat him? How did his grandparents treat him? We loved him to death, of course, but grandparents. But even his parents, as they turned the tap off, understand he's a little guy. And children forget and they get dirty. And Jesus said, if you human parents can understand, how much more your Father in heaven, our Abba, understands we forget and we get dirty. Look at the words on the screen. God, but God, who is rich in mercy. He's still the God who makes us alive as we age. For those with hair my colour, Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. How's the child in you going? Still alive? Still there? At an early morning prayer meeting yesterday, Tony mentioned Caleb. You can look his story up sometime, but at 80, he was still fully alive inside. What does the scripture say about getting older? They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Of course we age. Nick reminded us in his recent word in season that outwardly we are decaying, but inwardly we are renewed day by day. Psalm 103 says, "'Praise the Lord who satisfies your desire with good things "'so that your youth is renewed.'" like the eagles. So whatever's happening on the outside, his gift to you is that child in you to grow more and more trusting, more and more aware of God, more and more alive. You know, David wrote these words, I will trust in God and not be afraid. What can mortals do to me? When he was captured by the Philistines. He wrote, your love reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies, when he was in a cave fleeing from Saul. He wrote, taste and see that the Lord is good, when he was pretending to be insane to escape from Abimelech. And if you said to David, how on earth can you do this? How does the child, how do I stay fully alive? David would say to you, well, there's only one thing. If you have it, you can face anything but ignore this at your peril. Just one thing, if you have it, face anything, but ignore it at your peril. And you know, I think a lot of verses in this book and the verse I'm about to share with you, Nick used to open our service today. And it's that one thing. One thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him. And you might think, ah, dwell in the house of the Lord. Right, I get it. I've got to get into more church activity. I've got to turn up more often. And David will go, hang on, whoa, 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 whoa. Yes, that's good, but it's only a means. The end is to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him. All that we do here, all that Jonathan and the CM team do, all that we do in services here is just a means so that you, please God, might gaze on the beauty of the one who loved you and gave himself for you. That's the, that's the end. Remember what uh, Irenaeus said? That the life of a human being consists in beholding God. Brendan Manning has an amazing ability to explain, understand, and it's clear that he knows the tenderness of God, as he calls it. But he says... Understanding the relentless tenderness of God, it didn't come from exegetes, theologians or spiritual writers. He said, it came from sitting still in the presence of the living word and asking him to help me understand with my head and my heart this written word. Sit with Jesus and let him explain this. Open your heart that he might. What transformed Zacchaeus? He was transformed as he sat with Jesus at a meal and beheld the beauty of this man who wanted to be with the most notorious person in Jericho. I still believe he fell out of the tree. He didn't get that out of the tree, just in shock. And and then he says, I'll give my money. You see, he's no longer worshipping the God he made because he's been gazing at the God who made him. It's interesting, Jesus calls Zacchaeus a son of Abraham. This son of Abraham, says Zacchaeus. And John Dixon, in that same book I mentioned earlier, he points out that nothing in the Bible suggests Abraham was particularly righteous or obedient. He says he's the paradigmatically typical sinner startled by grace. God simply confronts Abraham with blessings he doesn't deserve. But Abraham responds to his credit with obedience. As you gaze, the response is obedience. Abraham began as Abram. Peter began as Simon. Remember Jesus said to him, Simon, you're a reed now, but you will be Peter. And as you sit with Jesus this morning, Whatever you call yourself, whatever other people call you, Jesus calls you what he plans to make you. He sees you not as you are. Well, of course, he sees you as you are, but he speaks into your heart and spirit and life what he wants you to be and what he will make you if you allow him. Because this reading goes on in Ephesians to say, we're his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. Thanks, Ed. Let's have a look at this. You see, grace is not something that's poured on us like another extra and we still make the rules. Paul says this, God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change and that doesn't start when you get to 12. It can start at any age. It does start at any age you allow it to and it doesn't stop when you get to retirement age. It goes on until you stand in the presence of Jesus. Radical life change. Is your hand in his? You notice those trapeze artists? Their hands are empty. They have to be. Otherwise, it's disastrous. And if you're going to have your hand in Jesus, you're going to have to put down other things. He may be telling you what they are right now. Notice their eyes are fixed on each other. They have to be. Gaze on the beauty of the Lord. See, to gaze is not to glance. It's not glancing at the beauty of the Lord on Sunday morning. It's gazing on his beauty. As I planned... This, sorry, in the planning meeting for this series, as I listen to the speakers and speaking to some of you, I think the Lord is speaking clearly to us in this series and I want to submit some things to you for your discernment. If I'm right, may the Holy Spirit quicken them to you and if I'm wrong, well, it doesn't matter, I'll be at Thornley next week. <laughs> you might want to pray for them though. That's... I think there's such a danger of, of you coming to this place week in, week out. Mentally assenting to what you hear. loyally supporting. But you're not alive. You've never actually said, Jesus, I surrender. You make the rules. Forgive me. I know there's forgiveness in you for what I've done and healing for what others have done to me. Just coming, it's time to step over the line. I think he's talking to us about the danger of stagnation. How alive is the child in you? You know, a couple of people recently have said to me, I just, well, Paul was leading worship at seniors the other day. He said, I sing some of these old songs from the past. And then he broke down he said, I just hear Jesus. And I'm saying to him, Lord, I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you, not stagnant remember talking to another one who said, I've loved this series and I've been prompted not to see the foyer as a place just where I see my friends. And now I'm going out into the foyer saying, who is it today, Lord? Who, who Who do I make a coffee for? Who do I say hello to? Who are you leading me to? Fully alive. The danger of distraction. This world and these things distract us endlessly. It takes a commitment to gaze. We had a great, didn't we have a great message on the time we launched the foundation from Chris on God interrupting. But as one of the teams said to me this week, it's got to be the right, excuse me, it's got to be the right interruption. I conclude with this, if the worship team would come back and Derek, if you could start playing for us, mate, and could you play that song that you were playing in the offering? I think that was a spirit-prompted one, I exalt thee. Okay, thank you. Henry Nguyen loved trapeze, he's one of my heroes. And he got to know the Flying Rodleys. They became actually close friends of his. And one day he was talking to the leader of the troop. And the leader said this, people might think I'm the great star, but the true star is my catcher. He has to be there for me with split second precision, and he has to grab me out of the air. If I grab at his wrists, I may break them or mine, and that would be the end. The secret is the flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. I have simply to stretch out my arms and wait for him to catch me and pull me safely over the apron behind the catch bar. The flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. You're not called to swing back and forth by your knees on the swing. You're called to stretch your arms. Trust the one who stretched out his arms. He will catch you, but you need to fly. Let's pray together. Thank you for joining us. We would love to hear from you would like prayer, please submit a prayer request at mounties.org.au forward slash prayer or send an email to communications at mounties.org.au and one of our team will be in contact. Have a great week.